Well, good morning, everyone. I want to kick things off with just giving you a really brief challenge. I want you to picture a missionary. Think of a missionary, and I want you to kind of just close your eyes for a minute and think of, of the picture that comes to mind. So when you think of a missionary, what's the picture that comes to mind? Get a nice, clear picture in your mind. I'll even have you go a step further than that. When you think of a missionary, think of one or two or maybe even three words that come to mind. What are some descriptive words that, that pop into your mind when you think of a missionary? You might want to write them down if you have a pen or maybe talk to the person next to you. The picture of a missionary and those words that describe a missionary. I'd love to share a few of mine with you. If you were to ask me that question a couple years ago, I feel like I'd have some really clear pictures and some words that would come to me immediately. I think the first word that would come to mind would be travel. I would picture a missionary as as a few people out out of a room like this, a few people who actually get on planes or get on boats and go to the far ends of the earth, usually to areas of the world that are impoverished and, and, and really dealing with tons of injustice and, 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 and global problems. And, and missionaries kind of traveled to, to meet those problems, to minister in those areas. I actually think about the church that I grew up in. We had a, a map at the back of the church, a great big map, and our church was right in the middle of it, the map of the world. And then we would put red string from our church to the four or five areas of the world where we had missionaries going on our behalf. So definitely travel would be a, world, a word. Another word that comes to mind for me would be um, uniquely called. A missionary was this person who, again, out of a room like this, just stood out because they had this unbelievably clear and unique calling, way beyond any kind of calling or direction God would give a normal person like you or me. I, I actually would think of the word funded, because in my mind, a missionary was an individual who went on a church's behalf or a, a church or a number of churches would get behind that person and financially back them to go on their behalf and represent them. I feel like the, the final word to me would almost be, would be superhero or maybe super Christian because these missionaries, and when I would think of the stories that they would tell, they were living these lives and living out this faith that was so beyond any kind of normal person's reality. There were these super Christians. I actually do have very clear pictures that come to mind for me. I think of actually, again, when I was a a little guy growing up in my church, we had a few missionaries that we supported that every year or two, they would come back and tell us stories about their experiences. I remember um, one, his name was Brother Kirkpatrick. And he ministered in China and he would come back every few years. I remember I was really young, but he would come and he would get the kids together and he had a ukulele and he would teach us songs on his ukulele in Mandarin. I could sing them for you now, but I'm gonna spare you the pain. I, I, I think of another couple, they were um, doing outreach in, in South America. And I remember one service, they were at our church updating us on what was happening. And, and, and as they were explaining life in South America, the woman grabbed something from the box beside her and pulled out something. I didn't know what, what it was. And, and she unrolled what turned out to be a 10-foot snakeskin. And she explained how this snake had slithered into their tent where they did church services and what had to happen, and and this was the result. I think um, 
when, when, I, when I think of a missionary, I think in the Bible of the Great Commission. See, the Bible, um, or Jesus, when he was just about to leave the world, gave us kind of a, a, a commission or, or an instruction that generally said, go into all the world and preach the gospel. And I feel like it was the missionaries, those just chosen few who lived out the Great Commission, who, who got on planes or got on boats and, and declared the name of Christ in, into the corners of the earth. But here's the thing. If you ask me that question today, the words that come to mind for me and the pictures that I would see have changed. And I'd, I'd love to just take a little bit of time and explain how they've changed. And I feel like the best way for me to do that is actually just to tell you some stories. Some stories that I've had the privilege of being part of over the last month, number of months and even the last number of years. And the first story involves someone I'm going um, to call her Sister Marianne. But um, this actually goes back a couple of years because when Southridge was launching its most recent location in Vineland, we were through partners launching this location, we knew that one of the first things we had to figure out was what was going to be our anchor cause or how were we going to rally the church um, to reach out locally um, to a marginalized group to make a difference in the community. And, and that's part of my job. And, and through a lot of prayer and consultation and discernment, we started to feel pretty clearly that God was leading us to reach out to Caribbean farm workers, to the migrant workers who live in Canada six to eight months of the year. The challenge was I didn't know any. I didn't know a single migrant worker, and I, I didn't really have any relationships with farmers in Vineland or Jordan. So I was so relieved when a friend of mine said, you know what, if you're going to do outreach to Caribbean workers, you got to talk to Marianne Schleybach. And they told me stories about this woman who for decades had been reaching out through friendship and ministry to hundreds of men across Lincoln, Jordan, Vineland, Beamsville. And, and these stories actually started to create a picture in my head of, of who this Marianne Schleybach actually was. And it was this kind of hardcore Christian, this social justice advocate. I had a, a picture of kind of this hippie social outreach person I couldn't wait to meet. And, and my friend finally set up a meeting. And I remember, actually, I walked up to her door, I knocked on the door, and the person who greeted me at the door was very, very different than the person I expected to meet. I'll actually show you a picture of, of Sister Marianne. Sister Marianne's what the Caribbean workers call her. This is Marianne Schleybach, this, this polite and proper, really kind, 78-year-old Mennonite woman. And, and I went into her house and we actually sat at her living room table and we, we sipped tea on, on homemade doilies and had German hymns playing in the background. But as, as the hours passed, she told me more amazing stories of the impact that she's been able to have through friendship over the last 30 years. And that time at Sister Marianne's house led to her taking myself and many others from the church to farms and, and going to the, the back of the farms and meeting the men. And our ministry started to take off. And, and I felt within no time that, that I had to actually go and see the men in their homes. I had to understand how they lived when they, they were home for four to, four to five months every year. And I'd heard that Sister Marianne did this, so I actually asked her if she might think of taking me. And she said, absolutely. She said, Tim, we'll book the tickets and just don't worry, the rest will take care of itself. And off we were to Jamaica. And I, I remember we arrived there with very little plans. And, and just after we arrived, a car pulled up. It was an old Toyota with 457 kilometers on it. It was a, a farm worker from just down the road from me. He said, jump in. And off we went. Explored the whole country. And we met 
tons and tons of my friends, um, but we met them on, on, in their homes with their families. I'll actually show you another picture. This is Mark. Mark's worked in Canada, worked in Vineland for almost 20 years. This is him with his young daughter, um, Mark's someone who I got to know, but I got to know a lot better because um, Sister Marianne and I lived in his home for a while. We spent time with his family. I'll show you a picture of his home. It's actually kind of a cool story because, because Sister Marianne said that when she first went to Jamaica, Mark was just starting on this home. And she said that it actually was just one tiny room and there was outdoor plumbing and it was just a tiny little place. But Mark said that his dream and his prayer was that every year by what he made in Canada, he could add to his home. And then actually at a second level and someday he would be at a place where he could move his family upstairs and he could rent out the main floor. And I was staying there as he was one season away from making that happen. And, and I got to say, Mark was an amazing man. And, and as I stayed with him, I was just more and more blown away by what he'd accomplished by leaving his family every year sacrificially to go work in Canada. His, his three daughters, one was in elementary school, one was in high school. He had an honors student in college. His wife was one credit away from her university degree. And I said to him, I was having breakfast with him. And I said, Mark, I am just blown away, Beth, just what you've done over the last 20 years by, you know, doing the hard work of leaving your family and providing. And, and he kind of chuckled and he said, you know what's interesting? He said, when I think about it, I know that I never would have lasted more than one month if it wasn't for Sister Marianne. I said, explain more. That's an interesting comment. So Mark said, here's the thing. I remember it clearly, he said. 20 years ago, when I came to Canada, I was a young man, newly married, and, and what I arrived to was very, very far away from what I expected. He said that the weather was much colder than he expected, that the work was different than anything he'd experienced, that camp life was hard, and he said, to be honest, the community wasn't very friendly. And I'm thinking to myself, what am I doing here? And he said, I had actually put a plan together right away on how I could be on a plane home quite soon. But he said that very first week, I remember I was biking from the fields back to my trailer on the farm and a woman came out her front door and, and stopped at her mailbox and kind of flagged me over. And he said, it was Sister Marianne. And he said, she, she said, I've, I've noticed you've biked by my house two days in a row. And she said, you don't have a proper hat to be working in Canada. And she goes, I have a hat for you. And she goes, not only did she give me a hat, she said, if you'd ever want to stop in for tea after work, know that my husband and I would love to, to have you over tea. And Mark said, you know what? The very next day I took her up on that offer. And as the summer progressed, there wasn't a week where I didn't stop at Sister Marianne's house for tea, if not once, twice a week. And he said, I know absolutely that there is no way I would have made it through that summer if I hadn't had the influence and the friendship of Sister Marianne and her husband. I was taken back by that. I thought about the impact that she had 20 years ago and what I was seeing today as a result. And what was even more amazing to me is that I found out that Mark's story wasn't that unique. Because when we left there, we went to other houses and, and we met more and more men and their families who had stories very similar to Mark. Actually, Sister Marianne had these notes. I'll show you her notes. They were pages and pages and pages of men just like Mark that over the years she'd befriended. Over the years, she'd gotten to know them and their stories and, and gotten in touch with their families. And, and here, 20, 30 years later, I started to realize that this woman literally had had impact across the entire country of Jamaica, had changed not only individuals, but entire families' overall trajectory. 
And, and I was so taken back by this. I, I, I tried to ask as many questions as I could because we traveled together quite a bit. And I, I tried to learn about her, her years and getting this started and even her childhood. And one thing that she said that I couldn't shake, she said, Tim, you know what's interesting? When I was a young girl, I always believed that God would call me to be a missionary. And then she said, the interesting thing is he never did. And I guess I'll never really know why until maybe someday I get the chance to ask the question. And, and when she said that, something just didn't add up to me. I thought, how could this person not see herself as a missionary? I'm driving around and seeing the impact that she's had across an entire country, and yet she wouldn't think of herself as a missionary. And it, it had me asking the question, well, well, who is a missionary? Who qualifies? Who kind of makes the list as to what a missionary is and isn't? And I've been thinking and researching this actually quite a bit lately. And I want to share with you just a few things I found. First, I thought, this is pretty interesting. I did a bit of research into the Great Commission and actually even got our teaching pastor, Mike Krause, to help me with a little bit of the translation. It turns out that go into all the world and preach the gospel. If you go to the original translation and look at the Greek, go actually translates into as you go into the world. You see, Christ wasn't looking at two or three people in the crowd and say, you and you kind of get on a boat or, or get your sandals on and go far away and preach for me. He was actually looking at every single person. He says, as you go into the world, as you go into your job, as you go to school, as you actually go to your front yard and get to know your neighbors, represent me. Live it with mission. Make a difference on my behalf. The Great Commission wasn't for a few people. It actually was for all of us. I started to look at the definition of what a missionary was. A missionary is a member of a religious group sent into an area to do evangelism or ministries of service such as education, literacy, social justice, healthcare, and economic development. To summarize, a missionary is a person who is sent on a mission. And all of a sudden I put that together with my, my understanding of the Great Commission and I realized that actually I had it wrong. And Marianne was actually wrong too in that she was a missionary. She was someone who was sent on a mission. It just turned out that God has sent her to Vineland, Ontario. That, that there's actually missionaries all over the place. And most of us aren't called to get on planes. We're not called to kind of leave where we are right now. We're called to live out that calling just like Sister Marianne when we look out our door and see needs all around us. That, that actually most of us will live out that calling here. I'm at the place right now where I believe fully that every person here is called to be a missionary. That, that actually being a missionary is way less about where you go and way more about what you do with where you're at. The reality though is most of us are sent right where we are currently. And I've been, I've been playing around with this term I believe that most of us, actually I believe that all of us are called to be missionaries, but I believe almost all of us, or most of us here, are gonna be hometown missionaries. We're gonna live out that calling right here where God sent us. And here's what's been fascinating to me. Lately, as I've been thinking about this idea of a hometown missionary, I start to see them everywhere. It's like when, you, when you're gonna purchase a car and you're researching it and all of a sudden when you're driving, you're seeing that car everywhere. I'm finding this with hometown missionaries. It feels like every conversation I'm in, I'm meeting more and more of them, including right here in this church community. 
Just in the last two weeks, I'll tell you three conversations I had. Southridge attenders living out this idea of a hometown missionary. I talked to a friend. He lives in my, um, in my community. We were, we were talking about um, the country he lived in before he came to Canada. And he said, you know what? Um, before I came here, there was a huge situation, uh, a crisis with young girls who were abused, who were neglected, abandoned. A lot of young women who were, were fleeing um, trafficking. And he said, there was nothing for them. And I haven't been able to shake that. He said, I've been thinking more and more and more about it until I actually started to feel like God was calling me to do something about that. But he said, I'm not going to start a school. I'm not someone who is a teacher. I'm actually not a counselor. I'm, I'm not the person to do the work. But I, I am pretty good at business. And he talked about a number of years ago when he started to talk about what would it look like if I ramped up the business, if I actually tried to run it at a whole new level, but not just for me, not just so I can retire early, not just so my kids and, and my wife can have an easier life, but actually use the success of that business to actually make a difference with the young girls that God's been putting on my heart. And he, he actually decided to do this six years ago. He made the decision that he was going to start a school, a, a recovery home, a, a, a place of refuge for young girls that would journey with them from a young age all the way until they were adults. And six years later, today, hundreds and hundreds of girls have had their entire lives transformed, have been saved because he decided to do something with what God's put on his heart, to be a hometown missionary. I had a, another conversation. Some folks that lived just down the road from me came over and we were having a coffee and they were telling me about the last few years in their lives. They said, you know, we were in a situation where often we would leave work at five o'clock and lock the door. And as we walked to our car, we started to pay more and more attention to the kids we saw on the street. And we started to realize that a lot of these kids aren't actually youth group kids. They're not kids that have a church community. They actually didn't even feel like they were kids that had a, a solid home. There was a lot of kids in, 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 in a situation of hopelessness. And they, they, like my other friends, started to feel like God was actually telling them that they had a role in changing this. And they talked about what happened. They actually decided to, to change everything, to actually not close the door to their business at five o'clock, but actually that's when things started to ramp up. They said that they actually, it's an amazing story. They added a cafe to what they were doing. They added a drop-in center. And now their doors never close. They actually have a, a place where those kids that had no place to go always know they have a sense of place. They always know that there's one person every day they can talk to. And they've said it's been hard. It's literally turned their lives upside down. It's changed everything about their security. It's changed kind of their plans. It's not been easy. They're still trying to discern and figure it out but they talked about the sense of purpose they have. They talk about just the sense of joy they have when, when they go at the, the door now and see these kids, but they know them by name. And they see smiles on their face because they're coming to connect. They're living out that calling right in their own backyard. Give you one more story. Just last week, I was helping a neighbor move. And another neighbor, someone who attends um, our Southridge location in Vineland, she was moving boxes with me and she told me a story. She said, in the year 2000, she said we, um, her husband and her were part of the Fresh Air Fund. It's a program that brings young children from the inner city of New York to Niagara for a month just to experience Niagara. And she said in the year 2000, they had a young six-year-old girl brought into their house for a month, but they knew within a week that God had brought her into their life for more than a month. 
And they started to kind of lean into what that meant. They got to know her story. They realized that this young girl and her mom actually were living in and out of homeless shelters. And they got to know mom and they actually built a friendship and a relationship, not only with mom, but with the young girl over time. And they, they let her mom know and the young girl that we're partnering with you. We're there for you. And, and actually we, with, with your mom, we wanna work together so that there's no opportunity that this young girl will be denied of. My friends started to think beyond offering my friendship, she, you know, what are, what are some other things she could leverage to make a difference? And she said, you know what? The one thing that came to mind is she liked to run. She said, I'm actually pretty good at running. I enjoy it. And she said, what if I started to leverage that? I actually use my running maybe to, to raise a bit of money for this girl's education. So she started doing that. She actually ran a number of races and, and half marathons and now tons of marathons. And, and the money came in and, and hundreds of dollars became thousands of dollars, became tens of thousands of dollars. And today, that six-year-old girl is in her third year as an honor student at Sunny Cannon University, two years away from being an engineer. And, and all of that happened because some people looked around and, and allowed God to speak to them and said, we're going to live our life with a sense of mission. And what's interesting is none of these people will probably ever have their story told again. Their, their names aren't being told. They're not traveling. They wouldn't feel uniquely called. They definitely wouldn't feel like they're super Christians. But they, they looked around them and they started to see that God was leading them towards certain areas of need. And instead of closing their eyes or kind of medicating it with distraction, they said, okay, God, we're going to look at what you've given us and try to leverage it to make a difference. They lived their lives as hometown missionaries. It's interesting because as I've been thinking about this and hearing more and more stories, I've started to ask myself the question, why wouldn't we all live this way? I'm talking to these people and, and Sister Marianne and the three people I just talked about and they're living their life with, with purpose and almost a, a sense of adventure. And I talk to other people who so often kind of look like they've got it all or their Facebook profile is just full of likes, but I talk to them and they'll say to me, you know what, there's gotta be more. There's gotta be a reason that I've been given all this. Life has to be more than just existing it. There's gotta be an element of really living. So you'd say, okay, well, why don't, why don't we all live our life this way? And I feel like there's two key reasons. One is that we actually just have our paradigm of what a missionary is messed up. We're caught up with the wrong pictures or the wrong words. We're actually um, believing that we have to travel, that we have to have this unique calling, that actually it's gotta be something the church is, is behind on our behalf. And, and, and we, we trick ourselves into to, to, to excluding ourselves. And as I said earlier, I just, I don't believe that. I believe that although some people may be called to go abroad, most of us are called to live out a missionary calling right here. Every one of us, if we are followers of Christ, are called to be a missionary. My guess though is that a lot of you actually know that. That, that you would, even already in this message, you'd be saying, you know what? That's putting words on what I've always believed. And you, you look around at everything that you've been blessed with and you know that there's a reason for it. But the reason that you're not living that out is you actually just don't even know how to start. You'd say, I, I, I want to live that life. I don't even know how to take the first step. And if that's you, I'd say two things. The first thing is that this whole Hope Lives series is for you. The, the, the entire month is, is us together looking at what would it look like for each person 
in our community to take one step forward, to actually move forward in one way at becoming a hometown missionary. The other thing I'd say to you is, although it's not going to be easy, it is simple. Although it's not easy, if I, if I think of the people I've talked about so far, no one would tell you that their life is easier now. Actually, they'd probably tell you it's quite a bit harder. It's more complex. They, they find themselves humbled often and, and desperately needing God to, to give them wisdom and discernment. It's not easy, but it is simple. Think about it. Sister Marianne right now may have pages and pages and hundreds of names that she's impacted through an entire country. But how did that start? It started with her opening her door and actually noticing somebody needs a hat. It started with her and her husband inviting a new neighbor from the community in for tea. It's not simple, but it is easy. I'm sorry, it's not easy, but it is simple. Let me um, read from the Bible to kind of even reinforce that. Micah 6.8, this is awesome. It says, but God's already made it plain how to live. What to do? What God's looking for in men and women, it's quite simple. Do what's fair and just to your neighbor. Be compassionate and loyal in your love. And don't take yourself too seriously. Take God seriously. Generally, the Bible's saying very clearly, you know what? It, it is pretty simple. Look around and, and don't, don't put up with injustice. Look at what bothers you and actually don't look the other way. And love actually compassionately. Love at a level that impacts your heart. And, and don't, don't take your plans and yourself too seriously. Know that God actually has it figured out. Take him, take his plan, take following him seriously and just know that it will work out. I have kind of one more story to share with you because if I'm totally honest, this journey for me of understanding kind of what it is to be a missionary didn't start when I met Sister Marianne. It actually started quite a few years earlier. It started... Um, by someone else I'll introduce you to. This is Ross, um, Ross Arnold. This is my grandfather. And a number of years ago, I was at my grandfather's funeral and, and something happened there that actually impacted me on a profound level. I can remember it vividly right now. I remember at the first night of the memorial, we actually started and there was a lineup out the door. Um, most of the people in the line were actually from the Wapul Island Indian Reserve, a reserve of about 5,000 people near Sarnia. And I didn't know them, but one after another, they would tell me stories about my grandpa, things that I knew nothing about. I remember a lot of men explained that 40 and, 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 and close to even 50 years ago, my grandfather went to the reserve and taught them a trade taught them how to weld and how to be a pipe fitter and how he helped them in the years to come get jobs in industry across Sarnia, which was pretty unheard of for natives at that time. I talked to one man and he said that he, he was getting this new job, but he didn't have reliable transportation. And he said he woke up the next morning and he smiled because my grandfather obviously knew that because when he looked at his car, there were four brand new tires on it. I talked to one woman and she said that through just a, a bunch of really bad circumstances, her father was out of her life and that my grandfather knew it and, and actually went as far as walking her down the aisle at her wedding. Just incredible stories. And, and since that time, I've been on a bit of a journey just trying to figure out who my grandfather really was, the, the part of him that I never knew. 
And I've been trying to connect the dots. And, and that's actually um, as recent as the last few months because about two months ago, I learned that on the Wapul Island Indian Reserve, there's actually a church, a Christian church. And they were celebrating their 50th anniversary. And by doing that, they were doing a dedication of the church building to my grandfather. And I, I had to find out why that was. I had to learn the role that he played that would result in them donating the building. So I decided to, to get in the car and, and head to the reserve and spend some time learning more. And I spent most of my time with this man. This is um, Joey Gilbert. And, and Joey is the pastor of this church. He's actually been the pastor of this church all the way from the get-go 50 years ago. And, and we spent a lot of time together. In the morning, I just learned a lot more about his story. He told me how he was actually born in a, in a one-room shack just two doors down from where we sat in the church. And there was at that time no heat or electricity. But in, in those days, um, Native women weren't allowed to have babies in Canadian hospitals. So they had home births. And he explained that not only did he spend his few, first few years there, that um, at the age of six, um, Canadian authorities actually took him from that home and they put him in a residential school for seven years. So he was taken off the island and away from his family. And, and after seven years of that experience, he, he, he was able to leave. But when he came home, he, he found he didn't have a home to come to. And that's where my grandfather actually um, came into the picture and took him in. And he lived with my, my grandfather and my father's family. And he explained that in those early years, he was actually taught a few things. He was taught a trade. He actually was taught how to be a welder and a pipe fitter, which was part of his life for years to come. But he was also taught a lot more about Jesus. And even at a young age, he said that he started to believe and feel clearly that God was calling him to full-time ministry. Even beyond that, to start a church on this reserve. And that was a bit of a controversial thing at that time. And he talked about the role that my grandfather played in, in supporting him in that calling and, and encouraging him to go forward. And he said, as they were, as they were deciding to, to, to construct the church, natives still weren't able to get loans and, and there was no way to get the money. And my grandfather ended up lending all the money for the church. He said, beyond that, he, he said, I'm looking right now. He had me look up at the beams in the ceiling of the church. And he said, I remember the day that your grandfather and, and some of his crew and your dad, they showed up and, and they gave us, they donated all the steel that we used to construct this place. He said, I, I still remember them going up. And he said, you know, it's interesting because now I'm thinking about this 50-year dedication and this 50-year anniversary. And I look at those beams more than ever. And I think very few people now would know your grandfather by name. He said, it's interesting because your grandfather wouldn't know the hundreds and hundreds of people whose lives have been literally transformed through this community. He said, your grandfather wouldn't know that 36 evangelists have been raised up out of this church and have, have preached in communities, native communities all across Canada. He said, your grandfather wouldn't know that today this reserve is one of the most prosperous reserves in Ontario. And you could actually trace um, that back to 40 years ago when your grandfather actually traded, um, tr uh, trained a group of men in a trade and got, got these men good jobs. He said, your, your, your grandfather wouldn't know that recently I sensed God was calling me to go beyond just preaching on Sunday, that actually he was calling me into politics your grandfather wouldn't know that for the last 12 years, I've been the chief of this reserve, which for a Christian pastor is unheard of. He said, you know, it's interesting. Your grandfather, he wasn't a teacher. He definitely wasn't a preacher. He was actually kind of a quiet, introverted man. 
But he said he was a great neighbor and he was an amazing friend. And he was a person who stood out because everything that he had, it was like he looked at it and said, how can I use this to make a difference? And he said, I look so often at those steel beams and I think, the people and the hands that kind of help put this together have literally changed this entire reserve. And what was, was even more amazing was that wasn't where the story ended. You see, I brought a friend with me that day. I'll show you one more picture. This is um, Joey Gilbert, Chief Pastor Joey Gilbert, next to my friend Darcy. And, and Darcy's someone I met a number of years ago, actually originally because he was a resident in our homeless shelter. We have a homeless shelter at a, at a, a one Southridge location. Darcy, I met there. And, and as Darcy was transitioning off the streets, he started to feel that God was calling him to use everything that he had been struggling with and, and a lot of the, the hurts and, and, and just awful things that have been part of his childhood. God was actually calling him to use that to help other kids in his situation. And today, it's just an amazing story. Darcy is just doing incredible work um, as he moves forward and working with young Aboriginal youth that are finding themselves in the justice system. Darcy's a student at Brock University. But in the last year, Darcy said to me a number of times, it's getting harder for me, Tim. He says that so often I'm learning more and more about the, the role that the church had in my community, in my family's history, and it wasn't a good role. And, and sometimes it's actually hard for me to come to church on Sunday because I'm trying to make sense of my faith, but also the area that I feel called to make a difference. And he said to me, I just wish I had someone to talk to that understood. And this day, as, as my questions were answered and I started to sit back, I, I watched Darcy lean forward. And for the rest of the day, these two just talked and, and shared together and, and started to bond. And, and as the day progressed, as we had to leave, Darcy, Darcy was saying his goodbyes. And I remember Joey saying he would be there for him in any way he could, through friendship, through mentorship, through connection. He wanted to do anything he could to see Darcy live out the unique role that God had put in his heart. And I thought to myself, I'm watching this and I'm like, my grandfather could have had no clue that 50 years down the road, him deciding to live his life with mission, him deciding to live with a little bit less and, and actually use what God gave him to make a difference to his neighbors would be impacting this young man at Southridge Community Church. He could have no clue. Here's, here's where I'd be at. I believe with everything in me that all of us are called to be a missionary. Everyone here, anyone who consider themselves a follower of Christ, know that God has called you to be a missionary. It's actually incredibly clear. When you read the Bible, let me just refer to Isaiah 58, 6 and 7. It says, this is the kind of fast I'm after. To break the chains of injustice, to get rid of exploitation in the workplace, to free the oppressed, to cancel debts. What I'm interested in seeing you do is share your food with the hungry, invite the homeless and poor into your homes, Put on clothes into the shivering and ill-clad. Be available to your own family. Gang, when you think of everything in this world that's wrong, know that the plan in fixing that is us. We are God's plan. Every one of us. Not a few, but all of us. And I believe that that's not a surprise to most people here. I actually believe that for most of you, you've always known that. You've, you've looked around and you've seen what God's blessed you with, the opportunities that you've been given, and you've said, I know, I know that it's for a reason. You've seen things around you and you know, I know that I'm supposed to make a difference in that area. 
And what I want to say to you today and this month is lean into that. Lean into that feeling and that calling in your heart. Lean into God more than ever that he would direct you in, in, in this day and this month ahead. Don't medicate it. Don't numb it with, with more things and busyness in your life and, and more all-inclusives and entertainment. Actually let yourself be wrecked by it. Let God speak into your heart. Don't talk yourself out of it. Don't convince yourself that, you know, real missionaries have to travel or, or real missionaries have to have this kind of super Christian calling. It's just not true. All of us are called to be a missionary. I believe, I believe with everything in me that, that God has a calling for, for every person here that's just as, as, as bold, that has just as much impact as the calling he has on Sister Marianne or the calling he had on my grandfather. Everyone has a calling with just as much adventure and, and ultimately with just as much impact. I, I believe right now there is somebody coming into our homeless shelter in Glenridge and their entire future is gonna change because there's one or two people in Glenridge that are being called to get out of their seats and live a life of mission. And through friendship, you are gonna be a missionary to this person and change their entire life. There are kids, there are kids that have probably just recently become part of our Rose City Kids program in Welland. And they're, they're kids that aren't dealing with a lot of good situations. They're hopeless and they're dealing with lots of darkness in their life, but their, their whole reality is gonna change and their whole trajectory is gonna change because there are a few people in our Welland community that know that God's calling them to step up and live a life of mission, to be missionaries to these kids. There are people that are going to come to Canada this year from Jamaica and Trinidad, just like Mark, and it's not going to be easy for them, and it's going to be easy for them to give in the towel, or when they're here, just to kind of give up on their commitments to their family at home, but that's not going to happen because there are people in our Vineland location that are actually being called to be a missionary to those men, that are going to be called to, to get out of their seats and live out their faith by, by befriending and staying with those men. I believe right now that there are some kids in the developing world that literally are living with hopelessness, literally living with, with, with hunger and oppression and darkness. And, and right now, today, and in weeks to come, there's people in this church that are gonna be a global missionary to those kids by going after the service and sponsoring them. They're gonna get one of those child packs and they're gonna not just today, but in years become, be a global missionary to those children. Change not only their lives, but their whole trajectory. Lift them from the cycle of poverty. I believe that right now, God is in the process of creating a whole new kind of missionary map for Southridge. Not a map that, that I was used to, a map with, with kind of just two or three uniquely called people, but actually a map that's bigger and actually has every single person here plotted on it, all of us. That we would actually look at it and say, Wow, think of, of what it looks like when we get our head around the fact that all of us are called to be the missionaries of Southridge Community Church, called to be missionaries, even though for most of us, we're gonna do it right here where God sent us, living out that calling, um, much less about where we go, but much more about what we do with where we're at, living out that calling as a hometown missionary. Just, just think of the impact. Think of what God will do as that becomes more and more of a reality. Let's pray. 
God, I, I thank you that you've been even allowing me to be part of these stories and have allowed me to see that, that this life of mission and this calling of being a missionary is not for a chosen few, but actually it's for all of us. For everyone here, God, anyone who is following you is called to be a missionary. And I pray, God, if that's new today for someone, they wouldn't be able to shake that, that they'd actually, for the first time, realize the direction that you're leading their lives. And if that's not new for someone, but they just don't know what to do with that, God, let it be, let it be more clear today. Let them understand even, God, what one step forward would be in moving towards living out this calling God, give us the strength and the encouragement we need and let us remember that it may not be easy, but it will be simple. You will give us what we need to take every step. You'll give us the direction we need to go. And God, let us get our head around what our lives would look like when we're fully living out this adventure of serving you. And God, let us start to get more and more of a picture of how this community and even how this entire world will change when all of us step up to this calling to be hometown missionaries. God, we thank you for what you've done and we just praise you in advance for what you're gonna do. Amen.